Would you bow your heads with me today, Father? It's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? So much going on. Our minds go to everything that's going on in and around us, things we have to do, but that's not going to do us any good today, Father. May our hearts be open to you even opening our eyes, or like the song said, washing our eyes. What is it that you want to say to us individually and personally? We give you permission. We yield our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, the black box. All right, everybody, you're in for a treat today. Pastor Dale's going to be preaching, and I'm not going to be, so I don't know what's the bigger treat, him or me not preaching. So I got saved and gave my life to Christ under Pastor Dale's ministry in about 1983, something like that. I was called into ministry under Pastor Dale's ministry. Uh, He also is the chairman of the uh, leadership board that is here. Uh, Let's see, what other things can I tell you about him? He's semi-retired. He's semi-retired. Lifehouse, actually, we kind of have him as our teaching pastor out at Lifehouse and that. So give him a warm welcome today and open your hearts to what he has to say. Yep. Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Plenty on. Two on. I listened this morning, believe it or not. As we sang, do you realize your song this morning you sung, you said, I will trust you, Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to be offensive, but for most of us, that's just a farce. We're not going to trust him. Not unless we get finished questioning him and doubting him. And then we sing, speak what is true. I have learned in my life, and it's not true of you only, it's of me. I, that song, I have to. I don't sing it because I'd be a hypocrite. I really want to sing, speak what I like or speak what I agree with because that's what determines whether or not it's true, doesn't it? You know, if I agree with it, that makes it true. And then we sing, word of God speak. That's it. I've done this quite a while, preach, pastor, since I was 16. I figured up now, 50 years. And I find people oftentimes will, I guess it dawned on me most squarely, many years ago, I had someone come to me with marriage advice. I was much, much younger, and I don't know that I would ever be any good at giving marriage advice, but down through the years I've had the responsibility to do it many times. And they came to me for marriage advice, and I, I gave them some didn't hear from them for several weeks. And then through the grapevine, I would imagine you have a grapevine here. Do you know what I mean by that? Gossip is the best word for it, but it's a grapevine. Oftentimes we call them prayer requests, but they're really gossip by disguise. <laughs> and I found out that they did not take my advice, which didn't hurt my feelings at all. But I found out what I have discovered many, many times after that. They kept going to other people asking for advice until someone told them what they wanted to hear in the first place. And then all of a sudden, God spoke. God spoke. I find that people that, uh, for example, this may not be your experience or the experience of anyone you know, but I suspect that it is, that people who go through marriage problems, and if they get serious enough, they'll almost inevitably 
go to someone who's been through a divorce to ask for advice. I don't want to be crude, but that's about the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. You know, people who know what they're doing, if they're the kind of people that I think they are, they don't mind giving you good advice. But they don't like giving advice to people that they know don't want to take it and really don't want to hear it in the first place. I heard an old story. I'm sure it's not true. There was a church, country church probably, back in the country. Middle of the winter, cold, blowing, snowy. The pastor was preaching very hard up front with a rail very similar to that. In the back door of the church opened into the foyer. And in the foyer on each side, I had a church just like this, Evan, when I was first started. There were coat racks. During the middle of service, he looked and a gentleman, big gentleman, came through the front door of the church, came in and grabbed two arms of coats and proceeded to leave the building. And he stopped right in the middle of his sermon. He said, folks, some of you quick, go back and check. Somebody's stealing all of our coats. And he went back to preaching. Wasn't long, the man came in for a second trip. He grabbed the other side, all the coats. And he said, quick, fellas, I'm telling you, go back there and check. Somebody is stealing all of our coats. And he went back to preaching. Service wasn't over. It was over in just a little while. And people started to go back and they turned and said, Pastor, somebody has stolen all of our coats. He said, I told you that twice. They said, we thought you was just preaching. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you believe, but I believe God's word speaks to us. I really believe it's the word. I think God, and I oftentimes, this is what Pastor Evan and I do. We try to say, Lord, what is this word saying to me? And, and how do you want me to imply, apply this that it might adequately minister to our people? First Kings, the 17th chapter. I want to go right to the book this morning. First Kings, the 17th chapter. Uh, the title that I've given this is simply... Your enemy is not the drought, it is the doubt. And the 17th chapter says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. God spoke. Now when God speaks, it always comes true. One of the ways you ascertain whether or not, and it is not unique to our day and age, it has been going on now for some 6,000 years. The primary way you ascertain whether or not when someone speaks it is from God is whether or not it comes true, correct? I had a very good friend many years ago, is a gentleman that I knew and respected. He was pastoring one of the largest churches in the city of Virginia Beach, Virginia, a church by the name of Rock Church. I think he has since passed away. His name was John Jimenez. And John was a very successful pastor. Church was running 5,000, I think, on Sunday mornings. And huge crowds on Sunday night. Great church to go to. I went there. I had the privilege of preaching there numbers of times. The only church I've ever been to like this. When you walk in, ushers did not pass you a bulletin. They passed you a tambourine. That's how you went to the church. And I want you to know the appropriate name of the church was Rock. Because when you got in there, Bubba, she began to rock. <laughs> he declared that God had told him to run for the mayor of the city of Virginia Beach. I had no problem with that. I said, John, I wish you well, buddy. And I lived in the city. I said, I'm going to vote for you. But then he began to announce to people, went on television, said God had told him he was going to be the mayor of the city of Virginia Beach. There's a great difference between saying God told you to run, God told you you're going to win. 
Because nobody can really challenge whether or not God told you to run, right, John? If God told you to run, God told you to run. Your wife can say no, your family can say no, your pastor might say no, but you can still run. And nobody can question whether you are right or wrong. You may have heard from God, but I said, John, when you say you're going to win, if you don't win, that means you didn't hear from God. Oh, Dale, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win because God's told me. He lost. <laughs> he not only lost, he got embarrassed. And then he stated very quietly, I didn't hear from God. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to ask you this question rhetorically, but somewhat honestly. I just hope there's at least one or two of you this morning that have come to this room, this building, this time, this day, saying, I really would like to hear from God. I don't care what that fat preacher has to say. I'd like to hear from God. Let me give you a little bit of background. Israel, not unique to this experience of Israel. It was a repetitive action on their behalf. They would come back to God, they would fall away. They would come back to God, they would fall away. One of the problems with Israel down through the centuries has always been their inability to remain constant. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a mirror of every one of our lives this morning in our walk with Jesus Christ. If all of us could remain as constant and as committed as we were the first day we knelt at an altar prayer and asked Christ into our lives, it would be a different experience. If we could be as committed as we were at the time that that trauma hit our family and we were in the waiting room of a hospital, it would be a great experience. If we could be as committed as we were at that time that family member went through a great stress and strain and we went to God basically in a bargaining mood and said, oh God, if you'll do whatever it is, you name it, I'll do this. We don't stay there. We oftentimes slide back. Uh, we call it backsliding in the church, compromise, apathy. How do we get ourselves to remain constant? Israel did not do that. And in this particular instance, Israel had, been, had repetitively and had done it again. They had fallen away with Ahab and they had begun to worship Baal. Now, I may just take a moment because some of you might be falling asleep already. I don't blame you. But how many of you ever heard of the God of Baal? Would you raise your hand if you've just heard that name Baal? Great. Some of you have. Baal was a God that very real, historically documented many, many times in the Old Testament, as well as other extra biblical documents. He was a real God. What you may not know is how they came to that conclusion. They worshipped him and they believed Baal was the god of fertility. Now do not be uh, too narrow-minded. That does not mean that they believed he was exclusive of the god of pregnancy or the god of children or anything like that. They believed that God was this god, Baal, was the god of fertility that provided for that which was necessary for life, including he was the god of crops. He was the god that provided for their uh, daily sustenance in regards to the fruits and vegetables that they ate. And they worshiped this God daily. And they believed as they bowed before him and worshiped him, he provided crops and he provided the rain. And God said to Elijah, you go tell him that I said, it will not rain again until you say so, Elijah. Now you hear that and you might say, well, what's the story about? Well, let me put it in context. What he said to them as a people, to Israel, is in your face. I'm telling you it won't another drop. He went so far as to say there won't even be dew when you get up in the morning until I say so. He didn't even say when God says so. He said, God's given me the authority to say to you that when I speak the word again, dew will fall, rain will fall, but until then there'll be a drought. What was he saying? He was saying you're trusting in the wrong God and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you that Baal is not God. 
Baal does not cause your crops to grow. Baal does not cause the rain to fall. Baal does not call the dew to wet the ground in the morning. That is my provision, and I'm telling you I'm going to stop it. They had begun to depend on a false god. Have you? Have you begun to depend upon the god of your employer, or the god of education, or the God of entertainment, or whatever else. What is God in your life? You say, well, pastor, I'm a Christian. I, I know that's your profession. But what is our practice? He challenged the God of the Canaanites. And he said to them, I'm telling you it will not rain. Well, there's a great deal more to the story, but the word of the Lord came to him, told him to go to a place of, of Al-Kidrith, where there would be water provided for him and the miraculous provision in Elijah's life. I, I won't go into a great deal of it. Some of you are very familiar with it, but I remind you that what happened was God sent a bird, a raven, every morning and every night to brought food and fed Elijah. We hear about the miracle. We tell it to our children. We say, that's a wonderful story. That's a sweet story. Oh, yes, 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 and it is, and I believe it's true. However, ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us today have a bird in our lives. It's not a raven, but it's God supernatural in many ways that we don't ever know about, never even notice, don't even think about. He provides for us supernaturally. But in this case, Elijah had his faith, I believe, overwhelmingly confirmed. He was provided for in a way that was undeniable. Sometimes the miracles in our life are not as clear as at others. Some of us may have never, ever experienced that supernatural intervention of God where we say, whoa, baby, that's an epiphany. We even gave it a word in the church to make it sound high church. It's an epiphany. What is an epiphany? It means God spoke. God came on the scene. We knew it was God. We now have narrowed it down and we call it a God thing. Some of you have heard from God. And if you have heard from God, honestly, truly, sincerely heard from God, you recognize it is a relatively rare experience. Now, I know some people that hear from God more frequently than the others. And some people hear from God in such a way that I think they're a little bit weird. I'm sorry, it just bothers me sometimes. Uh, you know, I've had people that said, I, can't, I, did. I had a man come to church one day. I won't go to a lot of story. True story, got no reason. You know, when you've been a preacher as long as I have and Evan has, you don't have to make stories up. I'm telling you, real people are weirder than anything you can make up. I'll never forget the time I was counseling with a couple and they just sat down in my office. I had never met with them before. I was meeting with them at the request of someone else. So I had prayer and I turned to the lady and I said, if there's one thing that I can help you with in your marriage, what would it be? Not knowing what to expect. I don't have to make this. She looked and she said, well, preacher, she said, I think if there's one thing I'd like to change in our marriage, I wish my husband liked my boyfriend more. <laughs> now that sounds like a reasonable request for a nut job. I didn't meet with them long, didn't have much to share with them, and I told them I couldn't help them very much, and so before I left, you know, you know how people sometimes that are, that are a little bit off, they always like to snow you, so she tried snowing me, she, so she got up and she got her, oh, she said, pal, you know she was snowing, she said, you're so wise, you know that's a bunch of bull, she, I'm not wise, she said, what, could you give me just one piece of advice before I leave, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I said, yes, if I were you, I'd go home, go in my bedroom, get down on the side of my bed, and thank God you're not married to me because I'd have beat you half to death by now. <laughs> yes, I'm, so I don't have to, to make these things up. I'm just telling you there's some 
unusual things. Well, this man came by the church one day and he said, I said, well, where'd you come from? And he said, I was riding down the road. He started somewhere in Ashtabula and he said, God told me to turn left. God told me to turn right. God, and the next thing you know, he told me to turn right in here and I just came in here because God directed me and I need $50. <laughs> that same brother I talked to you earlier about pastor that church in Virginia Beach, big church. He, he stood up, well, I preached for him quite regular, a lot on Sunday night, not regular, but one gentleman came to him one morning and uh, he said, a pastor, he said, God spoke to me and told me I was to preach here tonight. And John said, I spoke to him and said, God spoke to you and told you that. He said, yes. He said, that's wonderful. Now when God speaks to me and tells me that, you will preach here tonight. <laughs> Everybody thinks they hear from God, but sometimes it's not as clear. He went down to the brook. God provided the water, but the drought was so severe he didn't speak the word. He could have. You understood he could have. Have you ever asked God why? Why? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do the other? The one thing I hope you'll get through this message this morning is it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. He could have spoken the word. If I understand the text right, he could have spoken the word and said, God, I need some water. Send rain. And the brook would have flowed, but it didn't. It dried up completely. And then the scripture says God spoke to him again. But folks, once you've been fed by ravens and you've been given water by God and the water dries up and God speaks to you again, you don't have any problem listening. And he listened. He said, you go to a certain place. Let me go down there with you. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and according to the word of the Lord and he went and bestowed the brook Cherith, which flows from the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. The eighth verse, then the word of the Lord came to him again. He said, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and there dwell. See, I, listen, are you, is it up there for me? Thank you. I should just, see, I have commanded, I love this part a widow there to provide for you. In this story, I think it is of the utmost importance that I recognize that God spoke to that woman before the prophet ever got there. Therefore, I come to you this morning with the concept that I believe God spoke to you before I got here. And all I'm here to do is to confirm to you this is what God says. I believe God's already spoken to some of you this morning and said to you something. I don't know what it is. None of my business. I don't want to know none of my, what, what I need to know for. But when God spoke to his prophet, he said, you go where I'm telling you to go. I've already prepared a way. So let's go down and read what happened. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And there he came to the gate of the city. Indeed, a widow was standing, gathering sticks. And he called out to her. It's wonderful to hear these things. Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. Well, now that's an easy enough request, is it not? But remember, what are we in the midst of? A drought. From the lack of water, the first thing the prophet asked for was the thing that was the most precious. I don't like that, ladies and gentlemen. I wish God sometimes would not ask us for that which is the most precious. I wish God sometime would not ask us for a child or for our good health 
or for a job that we like or to move somewhere we don't want to go or to do something we want to do. I wish God wouldn't do that, but I have to say to you with integrity, he does that. He said to this woman in the midst of a drought, go get me a drink of water, would you? He didn't do a lot of begging, so I won't add a lot to it. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, oh, let me not skip the part. And as she was going to get it, he called out to her again and said, please bring me a morsel of bread from your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, Lord your God lives, think about that. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar and see here, I'm just gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son and we're going to eat it and we're going to lay down and die. Have you ever been broke? How broke have you ever been? I, I remember after getting married to my beautiful wife, the first anniversary, uh, I wanted to take her out and I took her to a restaurant. I'd never been to a restaurant like that before. And given my personality, it was one of the few places I've ever been in my life, I could not tolerate the food. That was the worst junk I've ever tasted in my life. It'd gag a maggot and make the ants run. you never seen anything like it in your life. And I paid for the meal, and I remember coming out. I'll never forget this. That's been many, many, many years ago. I remember coming out and saying, Jane, I think I'd like to stop and get a hamburger. And I checked my billfold, and I didn't have enough money to get a hamburger. So I went home, and I think she fried me an egg. How broke have you ever been? I remember being audited for my taxes. I couldn't pay the bill. Mr. Arbogast was the auditor. I met with him for like three months trying to talk him down. I got him down some fine. I couldn't, I couldn't pay the bill. I had to go to my father-in-law and said, Captain, would you loan me this amount of money? He did. I paid him back. How broke have you ever been? This woman was so broke. She'd come to the place she didn't have anything to eat but just a little bit of the ingredients that was necessary to make a piece of bread. And times were so tough she had to go and scrounge for something to make a fire. And the scripture says she gathered a few sticks together and she told the prophet, I'm so broke. All I have is a little bit and I'm going to go and make enough bread for my son and I. We're going to eat it and then we're going to lay down and die. I don't think she could be accused of being over-optimistic, do you think? I'm just going to lay down and die. I want you to make note of something, please, in this text. He never says to her not to die. He never discourages her. He never says to her, hey, look, if the drought's going to stop, he never said to her, don't worry about anything. I'm going to provide for you in this context. He just said to her, please do like I've asked you to do. I'm adding the please. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. This is irrationality at its epitome. I, I think this fellow would be, he'd be one of the people that some of you would say, if there's a crazy preacher in Madison, that's it. Telling that woman not to be afraid. She got everything in the world to be afraid of. Nothing to eat, no way to provide for her son. She's come to the place she's ready to die. There's no government assistance. There's no welfare program. They're, everybody in the community is suffering from a drought. And this stupid preacher looks at her and says, oh, don't be afraid. Easy for you to say. Go and do as I have said. But before you do for yourself, make me a cake and bring it to me. And after you have done that, think about it, folks. This is powerful stuff. Then make some for yourself and for your son. Ladies and gentlemen, in this passage of scripture, God says to me, he doesn't care what you 
have. He doesn't care how much you've squandered. He don't care about what you used to have, what you might have in the future. I believe this part. God cannot bless you until he can trust you. He cannot give you, the scripture teaches, a lot until he learns that you can be a good steward of what he gives you as a little. And he did not ridicule this woman. You know, I have to wonder, how does she get to be so broke? Is there anyone else here thinking that maybe she was just a mean old woman and her husband left her because he couldn't stand her anymore? Uh, could it be that her husband died from something that was not natural? How come they had no savings? How come they didn't make any provision? Why did not the prophet speak to her about any of these things? Because he wasn't concentrating on her past. He was concentrating on the future with God. This isn't about her. This drought wasn't about her. This drought was about the combat going on between Baal and Yahweh God, the God of Israel. And he simply said to her, you trust me. Don't be afraid. Go and fix me a cake. God says to you, God says to me, someone was here this morning, I hope God's already spoken to you. Put God first. Not lip service. I, I am cheating a little bit. I preached this message last Sunday at my brother's church down in Virginia. And after service, not, I'm, I, I got to go to the other church after I leave here, so it won't happen here. I walked out of the door of the church, been around talking for a while, and a lady was getting in the car. Matter of fact, she was helping her husband in the car because he had some real major physical problems. And she walked back towards me, and I spoke to her, how, how are you? She said, I'm fine. Thank you for preaching that message. Well, people say that to you all the time. That doesn't mean anything in the world. That doesn't mean they're going to listen to it, pay attention to it. They, they, they just, thank you, appreciate you. She said, oh, Pastor, she said, oh, I argued with God this morning. And I knew a little bit of her background. I won't go into all of that. But she said, uh, I, 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 with great argument, I wrote a tithe check this morning. And she said, I, I couldn't afford it. And tears began to stream down her cheeks as I found out that someone had given her a $100 bill that day at church after she wrote her tithe check. That might not mean anything to you, but you can bet your bottom dollar it meant a lot to her because she had obeyed God. Husband can't work, couldn't hardly walk, had to be helped to get into the church, out of the church, into the car. This woman's struggling everywhere in the world, but she said, God told me to write my tithe check because I believe putting God first. You confirmed it this morning, and after church, someone walked up to me and gave me some money. I'm quite confident it more than paid her tithe. Ladies and gentlemen, when you say to someone you can't outgive God, they're just words. But when that woman said to me this morning, somebody gave me money after church, more than what I put into the offering plate, I want you to remember this morning, God is still on the throne. Can I get an amen anywhere? Amen. My God is able. Now I quote it. You quote it. Do we believe it? My God is able to ex do exceedingly abundantly before, above all that you could ask or think. I need to go on. For thus says the Lord, the 14th verse, the God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of the oil run dry until the Lord God sends rain on the earth. Elijah was not living in a world of self-aggrandizement. He knew he wasn't going to provide the rain, but his God had given him the authority to speak. 
I do not, and I'm sure my dear brother Pastor Evan does not take lightly the opportunity and privilege to speak to people like you wonderful people Sunday after Sunday. We know we speak on behalf of the Lord. Try to be careful not to say anything he doesn't want us to say. And yet when we do, want to be careful also to blame me, don't blame him. You know, God used a jackass in the Old Testament. He'll use us sometimes, and I recognize that possibility. But Elijah said to the woman, as he got down the road a little bit with us, don't be afraid because my God's not going to send rain, but you're not going to suffer. This isn't about you. You honor God. You take the flour, you take the oil, you make me something to eat, then you make something for your son, you make something for yourself, and afterwards you'll look into that container and there'll still be flour. There'll still be oil. And it will not rain until my God says it's going to rain. And we have no indication that he ever indicated to her when it was going to stop raining. But sometimes God begins to provide for us supernaturally. And I believe we have a tendency to look at him. And I hear people sometimes with prayer requests. And they look at him a little bit as a sugar daddy. Well, give me this and give me that. Give me this. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And some people are never satisfied. That's why it is in order that every Sunday morning we come together and a part of what we do with our singing and other things is to give him thanks. To say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have you noticed, I don't know if any of you, I've got grandkids this, this Christmas and I love them, dear, six and eight. If, I hope they don't get any older and I, because there's so much fun at this age. But I bet you I've said to them 25 times and I've been gone for a week and a half. Did you say thank you? Thank you. Gone. Do you think he meant it? Can can a fat boy fly without a plane? No, they didn't mean it. No. But I keep saying to them, say thank you. Say thank you. Thank you. They're not doing it. I'm trying to teach them to say thank you. I, I, I'm having trouble with getting it across. But I'm, I'm trying to say to them, say thank you. When the grandma puts food on the table, say thank you. Thank you. And sometimes when they sit down, I'm getting a little bit more aggressive. Imagine that. They'll sit down and they'll get ready to eat and I reach over and I grab the food. They look at me like, but now that the place they don't even look at me, they automatically, you know what they do, don't they? They automatically grab, thank you, grandmama, here's your food bag. I know God doesn't do that to us, but this woman, I think she must have became a little bit apathetic, complacent, and she was enjoying the meal in the morning and the meal at night, and she was entertaining the prophet, and everything was going wrong. So she went away and did according to the word of the Lord of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Basically, he was dead. So she said to Elijah, listen to this statement. What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? I have discovered what many of you have discovered. The closer I get to the Lord, the more the Spirit of God puts the spotlight on my sin. Everybody else can do it, but I can't do it anymore because the spotlight of the Holy Ghost is on it. And if you're not careful for long, people think you're a legalist. Oh, oh, you're a goody two-shoes. Well, uh, uh, yeah, you think you're better than you are be than I am because of. And I, I've been doing it nearly 50 years now, and I, I think I'm finally beginning. I went home this Christmas 
First time I've ever been home in which all of my family, all of my nephews and nieces, they're all going to church. I find that one of my nephews now is pursuing a, a degree so he can be a, a youth pastor. And my other nephew has just uh, started going to church and had all kinds of, Uncle Dale this, Uncle Dale. They, I guess they're not as convinced as I'm a legalist as I used to be. But folks, the Spirit of God began to put the spotlight apparently on this woman. And she said, this sickness that has come upon my son and now his death is because of my sin. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's one thing we learn from the book of Job, is that God does not punish you for your sin on this earth. Now there is a day coming, and if you don't allow the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary to be applied for your sins, then you'll pay the price. But you and I have to realize, if you have sickness on yourself, or sickness in your family, it's not because of your sin. If that be the case, there are some people in Hollywood and in Washington today that are going to be desperately ill before nightfall, I'll guarantee you. There's not any direct correlation between sickness and sin. My Bible says, and so does yours, God causes the sun to shine, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But this woman, because she had drawn close to God, they had this belief, kind of, kind of like old hillbilly religion that some of us may have heard about. She felt like since she got close to God, she got too close to God because she got close to this man of God and now God has brought judgment down on her. The story goes on and says that Elijah says, oh, this is terrible. This is not because of you. And the scripture says that he begged to God and he went up and he healed the son. Now, ladies and gentlemen, a question that we must ask, I will ask of that. Maybe you would not, but I'm sure Pastor Evan would. Why does, the word, why does God put that in there? It was a much, much better story <laughs> before this kid got sick. I like the story up till that. That's the kind of story I can get into. I mean, you know, God comes along and says, look, do what I tell you to do. And though everybody else around you might have a problem, you'll be blessed. And don't, don't worry about it. And you'll always have something to eat just looking for the man of God. Everything's going along fine. And I think, ooh, this is the way it's supposed to be. And well, bam, her son's dead. I submit to your possibilities this morning that there's one of over five or ten of you this morning you, at one time in your life you were following God with a lot of enthusiasm a lot of zest something bad happened welcome to the club we've all had something bad happen I'm the, I'm the burying person in my family I'm the only preacher right now have been for 40 years I buried my mama my daddy my granddaddy my grandmama Jane's whole family my brother and a whole bunch of other people. I had to go, I went back home this summer, buried a good friend of ours and my wife's cousin. I'm the burying preacher back there. I've had bad things happen. I'm not going to tell you the bad things I've had because I can tell you a whole lot of good things. But did you slack off on the Lord because something bad happened? You thought, well, God mad, God's mad at me. I have found some comfort in my life in remembering He's Daddy God. Now, a few of you, maybe many of you, let me find out. Everybody's still awake? Everybody's awake, raise a hand. Just make sure everybody's awake. Okay. How many parents do we have here? Would you raise your You're a parent. I believe you're a lot like God and God's a lot like you. I really do. Have you ever done something your kids didn't like? If you haven't, you're an idiot. I shouldn't say that. You're not as intelligent as Evan is. I'll just leave it there. Any parent... I've seen parents who want to be a friend to their kids, and I've said to them, your child needs a parent, not a friend. They got plenty of friends at school. They get friends on the ball club, ballerina club, whatever club they go to. They need a parent. 
Sometimes Daddy God has to do something for us or to us or allow something that we don't like. And we might say, well, I don't understand it. I know that. I know that. My son, I remember when he was a teenager, oh, he wanted to go to live with everybody else in the community but us. He would tell us, so-and-so's daddy, so-and-so's mama, so-and-so, and so and so and so and so and I want to go there. And I, I was unlike somebody who said, well, go ahead, buddy. Now, not Jane, not my wife. Oh, no. He was going to leave one night. If he was here, I'd preach. I may preach this the next. He, had, he was going upstairs. And he started packing some stuff, and he came downstairs. He said, where are my keys? I said, keys to what? He said, keys to my truck. I said, son, you don't have a truck. <laughs> oh, I do so have a truck. That's my granddaddy's trucking. And grandmama gave it to me when he died. I said, I know, but when he did, she did that. We told her to put it in our name. And it's not your truck, and you're not getting the keys. And you can take just as many clothes you can put in that one bag, but that's it. Everything else belongs to me. Now, if you want to go live with somebody else, that's up to you. And when you get there, don't call me asking me for anything. He never left that night. <laughs> Sometimes. I don't know why. And I'm sure at that point, my son, he, said, he will tell you to this day, I was hard. I had a curfew. And if, he never was late but one time. One time. And I'll tell you, some of you in private, how come he was late? It's because he got arrested. And it never happened again. Have you ever wondered why God allowed certain things to happen to you? Have you ever wanted to argue with God? Well, then you're just like your children. I know I am. Why, God? And sometimes I think I need to hear God say, this is not about you. This is about the bales in your life. This is about the bales in Lake County. This is about the bales in America. God's at war against Baal, and he wants us all to know this morning that he is God, and he is Lord, and he is the one that causes the rain, and he is the one that causes, you know, you might have a problem, you might have a great drought in your life, but the drought is not your problem. Your problem and my problem is the doubt. Can I believe God in the midst of a drought? Can I believe God when I lose my job? Someone told me one time the difference between a, de a depression and, and just a man or a recession is a recession is when you lose your job, depression is when I lose my job. It's all a matter of perspective. You might have great problems. You might have health problems. I, I know that's what that's like to a certain extent. I, I, but I can tell you no matter what it is, it's always someone worse. I was a little boy, nine years old, I believe, or eight possibly, went to the barbershop with my dad, which occasionally, you know, boys would do when they were small. And I remember I, I probably must have been seven or eight because I just got to the place I could read. And the barber had a sign on the wall that I read, never have forgotten it in all these years. And it simply said, I used to complain because I had no shoes until I met a fellow who had no feet. Boy, it kind of shook me up. I never... I really always had shoes. I mean, I wasn't brought up poor, but I thought I was always complaining. Like most people, I was always complaining. Have you ever been invited to a pity party? Usually we call them prayer meetings in the church. And everybody comes and woe is me. I've been going to prayer meetings for many years and almost everybody got a health problem. Some people got a financial problem, and maybe one out of 15 or 20, somebody will say, somebody in my family needs to get saved. Would you pray for my father, my mother, my brother, my wife, somebody? And I've so many times wanted to stand up and say to folks, folks, this isn't a financial problem. This isn't a health problem. This is a spiritual problem. We need some folks to get saved. Genuinely born again, head over heel, fanatically converted to the cause of Jesus Christ. To so throw up the hands and surrender and say, Lord, whatsoever you want. 
Let me go down because I got to finish. I'm already on time to finish, right, Evan? I'm close. He told me not to look at my watch, and he's been doing this the whole morning. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That final verse, 24, do you have it? Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, because of this, I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. I cannot uh, convince you that the word of the Lord is in my mouth this morning. That's up to the Spirit of God to do that. But some of you are like that woman. God had already spoken to you about something before you got here. Maybe in your case it is as it was that woman last Sunday, tithing. Maybe it is your job. Maybe it is your spouse. I'm not going to keep down a list and say, I'll get you eventually. I'll find something eventually. I don't believe in that foolishness. God's already spoken to you about it. And I am confirming. God says, stop doubting. Start trusting. Believe. Don't look at the circumstances. As a Christian, you need to realize we're not under the circumstances. We're under the blood. We're living by grace. We're not irrational. We're not non-intelligent. We're not uneducated. We're not uninformed. We just happen to be people of faith. And we don't respond to what the world responds to. And we're not worshiping Baal. And we're not falling down at the altar of a Democratic or Republican Party or President or Congress. And we're not worried about a government shutdown because God has not shut down. And he is still on the throne. And whatever you're facing in 2019, I think he would say to you as he said through Elijah, don't be afraid. Do what I tell you to do. Do what this book says to do. And then we get back to the songs that we sang as we began the service. I will trust in you, O Lord. Speak what is true. Word of God. Speak. Would you please bow your heads with me for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I trust these words will be of some help, encouragement, and ministry to someone who is here. I want to take a moment right now. I believe God would be pleased. Every head bowed, not trying to embarrass anyone, with maybe just a hand raised. Is there anyone in this room this morning that you would say, God has spoken to me about something that he needed to confirm that I'm not putting him first in. And I'm going to change that starting right now. Is there anyone in this room that would raise their hand to that effect? God has spoken to me. And I'm going to change this, not just... Talking, I'm going to change. Anyone else? There are a few. Anyone? Make this a confession. God has spoken to me about something that I need to put him first, and I've not been doing it. I've had it confirmed this morning. Anyone else? Thank you. You might lower your hand. One other extremely important question this morning. Is there anyone in this room this morning? You're here with this church body, and you've enjoyed the worship, but you are not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You've never repented of your sins nor asked him to come into your life. Or you're backslidden and he's not Lord at all and you don't recognize him. With the raised hand this morning, is there anyone here that would like to confess, I need to be saved. I want to become a real Christian. Anyone here this morning in that situation? This first Sunday, thank you so very much. Thank you. You might put your, anyone else? This first Sunday of 2019, would you raise your hand? I'm not a Christian. I'd like to be saved. 
I want to pray for you this morning. Anyone else? Father God, I pray for this one who has raised their hand this morning, not here to embarrass that person, but I lift them before the throne of grace, and I ask you, God, to this day do a miracle in their life. Father God, might they repent of their sins, ask you to come in their life, and might you come in and dwell them with the Holy Spirit and make them uniquely yours. And Father God, we shall give you the glory and the honor, for we ask it in the wonderful, all-powerful name of Jesus. And Father God, this morning I confess on behalf of this congregation of believers, we know Baal is not God. We know politics is not God. We know Wall Street is not God. We know the Cleveland Clinic is not God. You are our Lord. You are our God. And we worship you. We adore you. Above all others, you come first. Thank you for it. And everyone who agreed, would you say aloud, amen. amen. Enjoy your 2019. God bless you. Thank you for being a kind congregation and listening to an old preacher this morning. I appreciate it. <laughs>